everybody. Uh, welcome to Baseball is Dumb. This is a, a new podcast I've started where I'm going to look at stories from America's favorite pastime because a lot of them are really dumb. I say baseball is dumb lovingly. It's my favorite sport. Is it your favorite sport, Johnny? Probably. Yeah, I know you're also a big hockey fan. Uh, I am now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for better or for worse. I, I forget. Did you play any Little League growing up? I played a ton. So I played a little bit of Little League when I was in like like before 10. I didn't play Little League anywhere past like elementary school. But that's kind of the extent of me playing baseball other than just going out to like an open field and throwing a baseball and just trying to hit a ball <clears throat> that my dad has thrown at me. <laughs> just, just you and the boys. Me and the boys. I'm it, playing some ball. A lot of times it didn't end well. <laughs> oh no, do you have a do you have a quick horror story you want to share? Or Yeah. Well actually this this was this was during the league. So I played Little League. I wore glasses. I didn't realize that I needed glasses at the time of this story. And I I definitely did. No. So I was um I was probably nine or ten years old. I'm up to bat. The pitcher, you know, he winds up and he throws the ball. I swing and I miss, you know, blah 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 blah. And I'm about ready, you know, I'm I'm ready to wind up, up at the plate, and the guy, the pitcher, misses. And it pegs me directly in the eye. Oh no. So that um that wasn't great. I fell on the ground, I was crying like nine years yeah. old. <laughs> And they're like, all right, we got to get this guy out of here. So my coaches dragged me. I say dragged, but they, they <laughs> helped me up. They, they, they led me back to the dugout and they were just like, all right, like, you're okay. Got, got me an ice pack. I'm still crying. This, I mean, that hurts. It sucked. <laughs> I remember seeing kids uh, cry over less than getting hit in the eye. Yeah. So like. Obviously, it wasn't going to be like a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, but this this ball was probably going like 40, 50. Yeah. You know, it's it was a bigger kid on the mound, and that's the last story I remember about Little League. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry it ended on such a bad note. That's okay. Um, I, but, didn't, I didn't do Little League the next year. Okay. That's good. But I had a black eye for like two weeks. It's like, oh, that's awful. My, you know, they, they, I went to school and everyone's like, oh my God, Johnny, what, like what happens? Like, oh, I got pegged in the face with a baseball. Oh man. And like, ouch. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Oh, there's a, this isn't the story I'm going to tell you today, but there is a story of the only person who has died playing baseball. Di- was, there have been people that have died playing yeah, baseball. Yeah. It was during, uh, the dead ball era. And at this time, batters did not wear helmets. Up to bat, they just had their soft caps. And also, uh, they didn't... Because you know when we watch baseball nowadays, it's like, if the ball even touches the dirt after the pitcher throws it, you know, the catcher just gets rid of the ball, the umpire hands him a new one. Right. The reason they do that is because they used to not do it, and so the balls would get all scuffed up and dirty, and, you know, they didn't have great stadium lighting back in the day. So there was a batter, and he's up there, and he's trying to get a hit, but it's kind of getting dark. And it's kind of late in the game, so the ball is dirty. So he didn't, he couldn't see it very mm. well. And you know, the pitcher missed his pitch, and he hit this dude like in the head with a ball. Mm-hmm. And according to other players, they thought he had initially made contact with his bat because the sound of the ball hitting oh his head god. was so loud. Oh my um, god! 
I feel I feel like I'm disrespecting this guy by not remembering his name, but I don't remember his name. But yes, he's the only guy who died so playing baseball. He got hit in the head so hard that they thought that he had like hit a home run. Yeah, they well they thought he had like made contact because I think like by the time he saw it rushing towards his face, he like tried to make a defensive move. Sure. And so it looked like he swung and like kind of fouled it off. But the noise that yeah. it made was like off of the bat. Yeah. Um, That's insane. So yeah, he yeah had like a super serious skull fracture and passed away from his injury. And that's what implemented the rule of them getting new balls if it got too dirty. But it was still 30 years until batters started wearing helmets at the plate. <laughs> that... You'd think that would have been, like, the first thing that they would have done, yeah. right? <laughs> but baseball is dumb. Baseball is dumb. <laughs> so they didn't wear helmets for, you know, 30 years after that incident. But that's not today's story. This story is actually a little bit more recent. We're both children of the 90s, and that's when this story takes place. So I wanted to ask you, how much do you know about the Cleveland Indians, especially during the 1990s? Not a lot. Okay. Do you know one of their players by the name of Albert Bell? I don't, actually. Okay, well, today you're going to learn the story of Albert Bell and the Great Bat Heist. The Are you ready? Oh, Are you ready? Geez. Okay, yep, I'm ready. All I'm right. locked in. <laughs> okay, so let's start at the beginning. And when I say beginning, I mean beginning. Because Albert, I should, probably should have written down the pronunciation of his middle name. I think it's uh, Yojuan. Yeah, Albert Yojuan Bell was born on August 25th, 1966, in Shreveport, Louisiana. He's a Cajun boy. He went by the name of Joey Bell, like a twist on his middle name. Mm -hmm. His mother was a math teacher, and his father was Albert Bell Sr., who coached both baseball and football at Huntington High School. And in high school, Joey was an excellent student and a great athlete. He was both a star baseball and football player, a member of the National Honor Society, and vice president of the local Future Business Leaders of America. He graduated sixth in his high school class and made the All-State baseball team twice. He was even selected to play on the U.S. Junior Olympic baseball team, where he won a silver medal. So this is like, you know, star athlete, star student. Yeah. Like, this is this guy is like every Southern parent's dream. Yeah. Like, if I had gone to high school with Albert, I would have hated him. <laughs> I guess Joey. Sorry. Because he's... He's Joey right now. Yeah, I mean, super smart and good athlete. Oh, the worst. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh man, I hate that guy. Why can't I be like that guy? Yeah, we were both band kids, so we would have we been playing music for him while he was being yeah. better than us. Yeah, or we had kids kids like that in our high school. It's like, man, <laughs> I hate that guy. He's just better than us. So after he graduated, Bell chose to attend Louisiana State University on a baseball scholarship. Okay. Makes a lot of sense. LSU. At LSU, Bell continued to play good baseball. He made first All-SEC team in 1986 and 87 and had a college career batting average of three thirty-two. And that was over 184 games, and he also hit 49 home runs. That's pretty dang good. good yeah, he's a really good hitter. Uh, he was eventually drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the second round of the 1987 MLB draft. The Indians did not have a first-round pick in this draft, so Bell was their first player, even though he came in the second round. Some notable first-round draft picks from this draft, though. The Seattle Mariners selected Ken Griffey Jr. All right, let's go Ems. And the Houston Astros selected Craig Biggio, my favorite player. Great. The Chicago White Sox drafted Jack McDowell with their first-round pick, and that's a name I need you to lock in. He comes back later in the Jack story. Jack McDowell? Jack McDowell, okay. yes. So Bell's drafted, and he would eventually make his MLB debut on July 15th, 
1989. Bell had a solid rookie season. He played in 62 games. He had a 225 batting average, hit seven home runs, and had an OPS of 664. And real quick, in case anybody doesn't know uh, some of these stats, OPS means on-base plus slugging. So it combines your on-base percentage plus your slugging percentage. Basically, it's an indicator of, you know, if you hit a lot of home runs and a lot of extra base hits, like doubles, triples, the higher your OPS, that means you do that a lot. Like, you're a really good slugger, basically. Yeah, so 664 is, like, pretty respectable, especially through 62 games. Yeah. One of those seven home runs came on July 23rd, a mere eight days after making his debut, where Bell hit his first Major League Grand Slam off of Yankees pitcher Eric Plunk. Plunk? (laughs) That's a very fitting name to hit your first Grand Slam off of. A quick side note on Plunk. At the beginning of the 1989 season, he was actually on the Oakland A's. And he was traded to the Yankees for Ricky Henderson. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. Ricky that went on. Trade. Yeah, he went on to be a big part of the A's franchise. In 1992, Plunk was a free agent who then signed with the Indians, so him and Bell became teammates. <laughs> All right. Sounds like he got plunked. Okay, but on that note, here's a fun fact because you <laughs> know right. plunking is a uh, you know if a pitcher hits a batter, they'll call that plunking. However, over Plunk's 14 seasons in the MLB, he only hit 32 batters. That's actually really surprising. Yeah, so despite his namesake, he did not plunk very many dudes. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you have that stat, like, written down. Yeah, I just found it. (laughs) Well, once you find a guy named Eric Plunk, and I mean, baseball has so many great names in it, Uh I just had to know more about this guy. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) That was his rookie season, did pretty well. His 1990 season, though, that brought on trouble. Uh, Throughout the whole season, he only played in nine games. Ooh. Because while Bell was a very good hitter, he was notorious for his alcoholism and fiery temper. Sports writer Buster Olney once wrote in the New York Times, It was a given in baseball circles that Albert Bell was nuts. (laughs) (laughs) The Indians billed him $10,000 a year for the damage he caused in clubhouses on the road and at home and tolerated his behavior only because he was an awesome slugger. He slurped coffee constantly and seemed to be on a perpetual caffeinated frenzy. <laughs> That's like they they called him nuts in an article. In a newspaper. In a newspaper. In a nationally published newspaper. <laughs> They're basically just saying this guy was insane. <laughs> oh, he's on coffee, just like, oh my god, I gotta play baseball today. <laughs> I mean, what is caffeine if not legal cocaine? When you think about it, you know? pretty much, yeah. <laughs> like if you if you drink enough like caffeine, you will like shake physically. He probably was all the time. <laughs> like guessing. maybe that's why he was such a good slugger. Maybe he had to like get super jacked to stabilize his <laughs> bat, and then because of that, he just hit like bases. Yeah, he like, was just extra so good. bases all the time. He had like eight gallons of coffee before yeah. each game. <laughs> Only goes on. Few escaped his wrath. <laughs> oh my god. On some days, he would destroy the post-game buffet, launching plates into the shower. <laughs> what? Like, imagine you're, you know, you're a Cleveland player. You just took a tough loss. All you want to do is rinse off and go home. But you can't because your psycho teammate <laughs> is just hurling plates into the shower. Oh my god. This is so bad. <laughs> After one poor at-bat against Boston, he retreated to the visitor's clubhouse and took a bat to teammate Kenny Lofton's boombox. <laughs> I think I've seen that gif. 
Oh, there's a gif of that? Oh, I, we gotta find that. I think, or I've seen that or like a video or something of a guy just like destroying someone's boombox. <laughs> it's probably out there. There are uh, a lot of uh, less than flattering videos of Albert Bell on the internet these All days. Right. Bell preferred to have the clubhouse cold below 60 degrees. And one day when a chilly teammate went to turn up the heat, Bell walked over, turned the thermostat back down, and then smashed it with his bat. <laughs> His nickname thereafter was Mr. Freeze. <laughs> of course. Oh my god. Yeah. We haven't even gotten to like the actual yeah. story. Oh god, I, I hope it wasn't that cold when these guys were still trying to take showers. Actually, the shower probably would have felt good if it's in the clubhouse. Imagine, like, but below sixty out of the shower, like, oh yeah, that's gonna be miserable. You know, you're soaking wet. You're dripping wet. You've just been like, you've just been taking a shower and then you walk out in the whatever 55 degree air conditioning and it's just like, I feel like I'm going to get hypothermia. Yeah. Well, especially up north in Cleveland, like, yeah, it doesn't like, get as hot as it does down here. <laughs> yeah. Like Cleveland is, Cleveland gets cold. Yeah. Cleveland God. snows. In June of 1990, Bell was suspended five games by Cleveland's management after trashing a sink in the Colorado Springs clubhouse during a post-game tirade. He was later admitted to a rehabilitation clinic for alcohol and anger issues. Two months later, Bell came out of rehab a new man and started going by a new name. No longer was he Joey Bell. He was now Albert Bell. (laughs) His own name. All right, okay. Uh, That theme of... Uh, change, but not really, is uh, going to come back <laughs> right. later. Right. As you know, so he missed most of the 1990 season, getting suspended a bunch. He's in rehab, he's drunk. So when he comes out of rehab, you know he's kind of rusty. He's got to you know get back into the swing of things. Right. So he goes to Puerto Rico and plays in their winter league. But he was eventually kicked out for clubhouse tenter- temper tantrums and misbehavior. <laughs> change, but not really. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So that was the 90s. 1991 season arrived, and the new Albert Bell was back on Cleveland's roster. But despite his rehabilitation stint, his anger continued to be an issue. During a game in May of 1991 against the California Angels, a fan named Kevin Bellar shouted to Bell from the stands, Keg party at my house after the game! Now, Bell had just come out of alcohol treatment, and he was doing pretty good and not hitting the booze too hard. So this guy's, like, taunting him. Yeah. He becomes enraged, grabs a ball, and just hurls it right at Pilar and hit him in the chest with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, about a month prior to this incident, Pilar had gallbladder surgery and was still recovering, and Bell's impact narrowly missed his scar and left a huge welt on his chest. Oh, my... Like... <laughs> This guy, like, the, the New York Times writer was right. This guy's yeah. nuts. Um, but don't feel too bad for Pilar, because uh, Pilar said he saw nothing wrong with what he did in making fun of Bell's alcohol <laughs> problem. <laughs> he didn't care. Right. He even joked that, hey, they should make Albert a pitcher. <laughs> you throw her. I kind of respect it. I kind of respect that. <laughs> for this incident, Bell was given a seven-game suspension. In 1992, he was suspended for three games after charging the mound against Royals pitcher Neil Heaton. In 1993, he was once again suspended for three games after charging the mound again, also against the Royals. He just really doesn't like Kansas City. It was a different pitcher the second time. I think the first time they kept throwing behind him, Mm -hmm. and so he got pissed. And then the second time he got hit by a pitch, and so he just charged the mound again. All right. Like, why not? I... 
One thing I love how the Indians keep this guy on their roster. Well, like there's a there's a good reason for that because despite his outburst, he was a reliable weapon for the Cleveland lineup. The Washington Post wrote an article about him with the headline "Hot Temper, Hotter Bat." <laughs> all right, so all of Cleveland is willing to put up with this nut job because he's a good hitter. Yes, that's it exactly. That's, that's nuts. That's so stupid. This brings us to the 1994 season. Now, 1994 was big for the MLB for a couple of reasons. And well, during the previous season, they had expanded to 28 teams. They added the Colorado Rockies and the Miami Marlins. This prompted the league to change their division system. So up until this point, both the American and National Leagues only had two divisions. They had the East and the West. Mm. But with all these teams, they, right. they yeah they subdivided even further, so they added a central division. Right. So, expansion teams. Yeah. Cleveland was moved from the East into the central division, along with the Milwaukee Brewers, the Chicago White Sox, the Royals, and the Minnesota Twins. Now, the addition of a new division meant there would be a new division champion each year. So now there's three division champions, and that being an odd number, that prompted the league to add a wildcard team to the postseason. Mm -hmm. So they effectively doubled the amount of playoff spots available. Now, this was really big for Cleveland at the time. They had not had much success in the postseason for a long time. Even as of recording this podcast in the year 2020, they have not won a World Series since 1948. (laughs) And going in... And going into the 1994 season, it had been 40 years since they had even won an AL pennant. So this season, like, playoff hope is alive for Cleveland. They've yeah. got a great roster. They have a new route into the postseason. Hope's alive. They have a nut job on their... They team. got a <laughs> nut job, <laughs> caffeine-frenzied slugger. <laughs> Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Mr. Freeze is ready to smash anything. <laughs> now this brings us to July 15th, 1994. It's the second half of the season. And the Cleveland Indians open by visiting the Chicago White Sox for a four-game series. Now, at this point in the season, both the Indians and White Sox are like neck and neck in AL Central. Mm. Cleveland came into the series sporting a record of 51 and 33 with a winning percentage of 607, while Chicago's record was 52 and 34 with a 605 winning percentage. Mm. So they're they're just yeah, half they're, a game back. Yeah, they're they're real close. Yeah, so this was a super important series for these teams. And both teams are doing really well. I want to know who else is doing well right now? Albert Bell. <laughs> Last season, in 1993, his batting average was 290. But this season, his batting average jumped up to 357. 357? <laughs> Curious, huh? <laughs> I think he'd just be eating a balanced breakfast every morning before he went to, yeah. the, we went to the games. Yeah, he probably, you know, he ate his Wheaties. He had like yeah. uh, like half a grapefruit. And probably 20 gallons of coffee every morning. He's a champion. He invented the breakfast of champions. (laughs) (laughs) There had been rumors circulating for a while that Bell had been using a corked bat. That's why he was hitting so well. Mm. And to explain, a corked bat is when you hollow out the center of your normal wooden bat and you replace it with ground up cork. This makes the bat lighter, allowing the hitter to increase their bat speed and thus hit the ball further. But this is illegal. You cannot have a corked bat. <laughs> and now that he has a batting average of 357, almost 70 points above where it was last season, everyone was like, okay, something's going on here. There's something fishy. Right. The game begins, and Cleveland takes an early one to nothing lead in the top of the first inning against White Sox pitcher 
Jack McDowell. Oh, he's back. He's back, baby. Jack McDowell was the reigning AL Cy Young Award winner at the time, and he entered the game on kind of a hot streak. He had gone 5-1 and one over his previous 10 starts. So Carlos Berga had hit an RBI single into center field, which scored Kenny Lofton, the guy who got his boombox destroyed. Yep, yep. So that's how they took the one nothing lead, and that brought Albert up to the plate. Now, the MLB rulebook allows a team's manager to challenge one bat per game. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it specifies just one. <laughs> Do you think there's a manager who's like abusing that rule who was just challenging every bat that mm-hmm. came up? <laughs> I wouldn't hold it past like 1980s MLB because weirder shit has happened. So absolutely, you, probably they probably made that rule for a reason. Yeah. So, White Sox manager Gene Lamont wasted no time applying this rule and immediately requested Bell's bat be inspected. Home plate umpire Dave Phillips looked at the bat and said, I don't see anything wrong with the bat, but we'll check it and send it to Dr. Bobby Brown. He asked us to send it to him. Now, not only is Dr. Bobby Brown a fun thing to say, he was the president of the American League at the time. Okay. Cleveland manager Mark Hargrove spoke on the inspection saying, I don't know if Gene was trying to play mind games with Albert or what. Davy Phillips said he checked the bat and didn't see anything wrong, but he had to keep the bat regardless. If Gene got some information from somewhere, I think it's erroneous. I love how he calls him Davy. Davy. <laughs> like they're buds. Yeah. <laughs> On having his bat inspected, Bell said, that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. A simple man. <laughs> so his bat was taken and put in the umpire locker room. I Bell bet he's gra- furious about this. They oh. took, like, this is his bat. Like, I know... A lot of players are, like, really superstitious about their bats, about their uniforms, about their helmets, all of this stuff. So I bet he's super pissed off. Yeah, and he's already an angry dude. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's probably, like, super pissed at this point. But he just grabs another bat from his bat rack and just grounds into a fielder's choice. (laughs) Okay. You know. The game continued, and the atmosphere in the Cleveland dugout grew tense. Cleveland relief pitcher Jason Grimsley could tell something was wrong. So he asked bench coach Buddy Bell what was going on. Buddy Bell. Great name. So many great There's names in baseball. There's a lot of great baseball names. So Buddy told Grimsley that Albert's bat was corked. The coaches knew he was using an illegal bat, and now it was in the hands of the umpires. <laughs> However, Jason Grimsley's just a really great guy, and he's a great teammate. And so he hatches a plan to get the bat back. <laughs> oh, I see. I see where this is going. He shares his plan with both Buddy the bench coach and his manager. Hargrove listened to Grimsley's plan and, quote, gave him a thumbs up. <laughs> the heist was on. Just thumbs up. Yeah, he's like, go for go it, dude. It. I read a report. I forget which source this was, but apparently Mike Hargrove had his head in his hands after they <laughs> took his bat because he's like, oh, <laughs> shit. He, he knew. Yeah, they all knew. Yeah. <laughs> so Jason's plan was simple. In the visiting clubhouse, he would climb into the ceiling, crawl around in the ducts, get to the umpire locker room, and retrieve the bat. <laughs> Some accounts even say he donned batting gloves and a face mask to conceal his identity. <laughs> <laughs> he's like an like an actual burglar. Basically. Like he's like I'm gonna go like full on petty theft, yes. and, like the ski mask and the the batting gloves and. Oh my it's gosh. like Die Hard when he's crawling around. In the yeah, air. that's exactly what it is. In the air ducts. <laughs> 
Now, this was not an easy journey for Grimsley, as he's a six foot three pitcher in a very small space. <laughs> and also, he's in a stadium which he is not the home team, so he doesn't know the layout or where the umpire locker room is. <laughs> so they just sent this guy, and it's like, go find it. And he's like, okay. Yeah. And there's this huge guy crawling around in the air ducts like solid snake. <laughs> yeah. Trying to figure out where and if the umpires have this bat. <laughs> yeah. According to Grimsley, it was, quote, pretty hairy up there. <laughs> pretty hairy. All right. Understatement of the decade. <laughs> At one point, he came upon a room that he thought was the umpire locker room. He moved the ceiling tile to see that he had guessed wrong. <laughs> quote, there was a groundskeeper in there sitting in there on a couch. I put the tile back down, but he had to know. Thank goodness he didn't say anything. <laughs> so this dude just looks up and sees a man with a face mask staring at him and from he the just ceiling. Put, puts the ceiling tile back it's and gross. the groundskeeper just is like, I don't get paid enough for this. Probably. <laughs> or like, okay, if it's me, I would probably think like, okay, there's just like some maintenance going on. Yeah. I don't think I would jump to, uh, oh, there's a heist going on. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a guy trying to get a bat back. Yeah. But also, like, I think I would still be curious as to why there's a man crawling around in the ceiling during a game. <laughs> probably. I, yeah, I don't know if I would have said anything either. I just would have been like, huh, that was weird. Yeah. And then I'd just kind of go on with my life. <laughs> Basically. Eventually, Jason found the umpire's locker room and dropped in to retrieve the bat. But Jason knew he couldn't just take the bat and run, because, I mean, surely someone would notice if the bat was missing. But Jason had planned for this, and he brought a bat from his teammate, Paul Sorrento, to swap with Bell's bat. Now, earlier you said something about, like, players being, like, superstitious about their bats. Yeah, yeah. And so if anyone's wondering, why didn't Jason just grab another one of Albert's bats? Why did he grab one of Jason's? Well, because according to (laughs) fellow Cleveland player Omar Vizquel's autobiography... All of Albert's bats were corked. <laughs> All right. Um, he literally doesn't have a legal bat to change it with. If he, well, if he's Albert. Albert has no legal bat. 357 batting average, yep. by the way. Yep. I wonder how he got I wonder that. how that happened. Huh. Interesting. When he dropped into the room, Grimsley said, My heart was going a thousand miles an hour, and I went in. I just rolled the dice. So Jason swaps the bats and returns to his dugout. Cleveland goes on to win the game 3-2. to two. After the game, the umpires return to their locker room and immediately notice something was wrong. <laughs> For starters, the room was a mess. Clumps of ceiling tile lay all over the floor and the metal between the tiles had clearly been disturbed. <laughs> the umpires looked at the bat and knew right away it was not the bat they had confiscated from Bell. This bat looked newer and shinier than the bat they had taken from Bell... And it also had Paul Sorrento's signature on it. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just left a note saying, this is not Albert's bat. They're like, oh my god. That's like... they, They had to have been like... They had to have looked at the bat before they... Oh, my God. But Albert, all of Albert's bats were corked. They couldn't... <laughs> they could have gotten literally like, any other bat. They could have gotten a bat that wasn't signed. They could have just gotten a normal-ass bat, and they didn't. They just grabbed another bat. It's like, oh, this looks fine. Yeah, and it's like, let's do it. All right, great. I was just like an Indiana Jones when he swaps the bags and then the boulder immediately starts rolling after him because his bag doesn't weigh enough as the, like, trinket or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Trinket. (laughs) Some treasure. Yeah. That's basically (laughs) what happened. 
Um, the umps are the boulder. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Well, there's a bigger boulder coming. Oh, God. Uh, the Chicago police were called, and the White Sox organization threatened to press charges against the thief. Word had gotten back to the MLB about the incident, and the following day, they launched an investigation, and to show they meant business, flew out a former FBI agent to examine the crime scene. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, dude. I know this is only the first episode of this show, but I can already sense the theme of the MLB getting the feds involved <laughs> whenever possible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're like, I guess that's code. Whenever they're like, all right, we need to call New York. They're actually calling the FBI. Basically. Maybe they're like the Southern District of New York, whatever that like law office is. And they're like, hey, we got a problem. It's like, what is it? And they send the feds out. Yeah. Uh, so the room was dusted for fingerprints and Grimsley's route was soon discovered. After these findings, the MLB demanded that Cleveland return the bat and even threatened to get the actual FBI involved if they did not. <laughs> Having been caught, Cleveland sent Albert's bat to be examined. On July 18th, the bat was x-rayed and then sawed in half with both Albert Bell and Indians GM John Hart in attendance. They're like, come here. We're going to force you to watch this. We're just going to cut your bat open. We're, we're cutting your bat open and you have to be there for it. That's got to suck. Naturally, it was discovered that the bat was corked. Yeah, of course. Uh, one source said that initially Bell pled innocent and accused the White Sox of stealing his bat and then <laughs> corking it. Oh my god. I couldn't find this anywhere else, so I don't know how valid that is, but it made me laugh, so I included it in the story. <laughs> I, I would believe it. With the like the history that this guy has, the reputation of, of Albert Bell, I would believe it. <laughs> Basically. For his illegal bat, Dr. Bobby Brown suspended Bell for 10 games. Bell appealed the ruling, and on July 29th, Bell's suspension was reduced to 7 games. This proved to be ultimately pointless, however, as almost two weeks later, on August 11th, the Major League Baseball season came to an abrupt end when the players went on strike. Oh, that's right. That's right. The 94 strike season. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's right. That's why I don't know about this story. Yeah. Oh, also, yeah, because that the strike yeah, overshadowed the, the this. strike season. Oh, also that series that the that Cleveland and Chicago were playing. Uh -huh. It was a four game set, and they split the series, each winning two. So, so it didn't make it a didn't make at all. a difference. That, that's so. Stupid. They left the series with the same position that they entered it with. But when the season was cut short, Chicago did hold a one-game lead over Cleveland, and so they were technically the first AL Central They, they were the, the winners. Yeah, the winners. Even though it was the in AL August. Central. <laughs> oh, my God. Despite the strike, the Baseball Writers Association of America still handed out awards for the 1994 season. And even though he had an illegal bat, Albert still won the Silver Slugger Award for the second year in a row. Oh, my God. He, wait, he won it the year before, too? Yeah, he won in 1993 as wow. well. So they were like, hey, we know you cheated, but it was yeah. exciting to watch. I was <laughs> like, that was fun. You did it wrong, but whatever. <laughs> but hey, 357 is 357. <laughs> Both Craig Biggio and Ken Griffey Jr. won Gold Glove and Silver Slugger Awards that season. Great. Let's go. Fun fact. Let's go, Jr. So Jason Grimsley's role in the heist was not known until 1999, where he told the whole story in an interview with the New York Times. Grimsley would go on to win back-to-back -back World Series with the Yankees in 99 and 2000. He pitched in the MLB until 2006, when federal officials raided his home searching for evidence that he had been dealing human growth hormone and other performance-enhancing drugs. Oh. 
All right. So if you're keeping score at home, Jason Grimsley is now involved in two scandals in the MLB <laughs> during I, his career. I want to believe that the bat heist was like, that was like his little taste. That was the taste of crime. And he's like, Ooh, <laughs> he goes, he's like, I like that. That was wow. like that was exhilarating. That was way more adrenaline than the World Series I won <laughs> twice. <laughs> the two World Series, and then it's like, all right, let's start um, let's start juicing up some people. <laughs> and he's like, he's he's like, hey, this is my this is my good friend Barry. This is my good yeah. friend Alex. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> We're Basically. just chilling, you know. We've gained 50 pounds of muscle in the past six months. Yeah, we got really big all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so Grimsley did confess to using steroids, but he was not dealing them to other players. Uh-huh. For a while, it was that he was a snitch and that he was giving up names of other players yeah, who had yeah. juiced. But really, he had gotten the steroids from his trainer on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And during the offseason, that guy would be a personal trainer for a bunch of other baseball players. And so that's how guys like Roger Clements and Andy Pettit got steroids because okay. they had the same trainer. All right. Because they were on the Yankees, too. Yeah. I know Pettit was... Did Clemens ever play for the Yankees? I know he played for yeah, the uh, that, Red Sox. Clem, Clemens was on the Yankees when he oh. had all those like record-breaking seasons. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> should do more research on Roger Clemens. You probably should. <laughs> yeah. After Grimsley confessed to his use of steroids... steroids he was subsequently released by the Arizona Diamondbacks. As for Albert, he would play with Cleveland until he became a free agent after the 1996 season. During the offseason, he would sign with the Chicago White Sox. His contract with Chicago made him the highest paid baseball player for a brief period and the first baseball player to make $10 million in a season. In 1998, he hit 49 home runs and recorded 152 RBIs. To this day, both still stand as single-season franchise records for Chicago. When Cal Ripken Jr. ended his record consecutive game streak at 2,632 games in a row, it was Bell who took over as the major league's active leader in that category. Bell's contract with the White Sox had this unusual clause that allowed him to demand he would be one of the three highest-paid players in baseball. <laughs> like, he just wrote that in. Yeah, he's like, you. I have to be top three <laughs> of making money. And in October of 98, he invoked that clause, and when the White Sox declined to give him a raise, he immediately became a free agent. He again became the game's highest-paid player, signing a five-year, $65 million deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, in today's money, that's like $99.7 million. Yeah, for five years. <laughs> yeah, five years, which is insane, because like, he's getting kind of old, and he has kind of a bad hip. And they just and he's insane. This. Yeah, and he's <laughs> <laughs> insane, dude. And they're just like, here's $65 million. All right, that works. Bash the ball for us. Unfortunately, his career ended just two seasons later when he was forced into, into retirement at age 34 by degenerative hip osteoarthritis. Mm. Bell's final game came on October 1st, 2000 at Camden Yards, and on his final at-bat, he hit a home run. Good for him. How poetic. Good right? for Al. Bell was a great hitter. During his career, he had eight straight seasons of at least 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. He was the fourth player in MLB history to accomplish this feat after Babe Ruth, Jimmy Fox, and Lou Gehrig. That's pretty good. It's elite company. Yeah. Um, In the 95 season, Bell became the first player in Major League history to hit 50 home runs and 50 doubles in a single season. I went digging. I couldn't find anything definitive, but I think he's still the only person to have done that. That's really impressive. Yeah. Was that is, with or without the cork bat? I think this was without the cork bat because okay. that happened after 94. <laughs> right. 
So I mean, I hope it you was would stuck. you would think that he would have learned. It's like yeah. oh, maybe I shouldn't use a corked bat, but stranger things have happened. <laughs> Clearly, he wasn't very fast, but he still managed to steal a decent amount of bases. He stole eighty eight bases in, in his career and was only caught forty one times. Not bad. Um, yeah. So, I mean, all in all, his offensive production was, like, insane. Yeah. His career offensive war was 46.2. That's nuts. Yeah. Now, uh, war means wins above replacement. Basically, it's a stat that means because of your contribution, your team won, you know, a certain amount of games over just, like, a replacement player, like a triple-A guy. So, from his offense alone, his team won 46 more games because of him. I mean, that's, that's that's pretty crazy. That's bonkers nuts. Yeah. However, the same cannot be said for his defensive performance. As a fielder, <laughs> he was ask. Yeah, he, he was quote mediocre at best. Um Bell had a great arm. Remember he hit <laughs> Pilar pretty hard. <laughs> he hit that guy in the, the chest and let the welt and Pilar made that joke that, oh, he, they should make him a pitcher. Well, he was a pitcher in high school. <laughs> and he even pitched a game during his junior Olympics outing. His throwing range even exceeded many other left fielders of his era. But he... <laughs> but again, you know, he wasn't the fastest dude in the world. Yeah. And he managed to have a career defensive war of negative 12.3. Oh. <laughs> I looked... That's pretty terrible. It's really bad. I looked on baseballreference.com. Literally every season, his defensive war is a negative number. <laughs> so he like because of his defense, he lost games for the, the yeah. team. Um, but you know, it's averaged out with his offensive uh, war. So his career war was forty point one. So still, yeah, that's still good. really really good. Even if he <laughs> wasn't the greatest defender. He did spend most of his career as a designated hitter. Because AL. Yeah, yeah, AL, and also he sucked at playing outfield. Sure. Kind of. <laughs> Bell retired with 381 home runs. His career batting average was 295, and his career OPS was 933. That's really, really yeah. good. It's nuts. Throughout the course of his career, Bell was a five-time All-Star, five-time Silver Slugger, led the American League in RBIs three times, and led the American League in home runs in 1995. He never won a World Series. Despite all of his accomplishments, Bell became the subject of great debate as to whether he should be in the Hall of Fame. In the New York Daily News, columnist Bill Madden wrote, quote, Sorry, there'll be no words of sympathy here for Albert Bell. He was a surly jerk before he got hurt, and now he's a hurt surly jerk. <laughs> hurt surly jerk. That's fun to say. <laughs> he was no credit to the game. Bell's boorish behavior should be remembered by every member of the Baseball Writers Association when it comes time to consider him for the Hall of Fame. So in his first year of eligibility in 2006, he garnered only 7.7% of the vote. Mm. But his vote total was high enough to keep his name on the ballot for the following year. However, the following year, he garnered only 19 votes, good for 3.5%. Mm, that's, that's rough. Yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty tough. His exclusion from the hall is often blamed on his temperament and distaste for talking to the media. Bell routinely refused to speak with them, saying, quote, I don't get excited talking about myself, he explained. Guys such as Sandy Koufax, Joe DiMaggio, and Steve Carlton did not interview, and it was no big deal. They were quiet. I am also quiet. I just want to concentrate on baseball. Why does everyone want to hear me talk anyway? He also said, There's a lot of athletes, including myself, who have done some great things for the communities around America, but they haven't gotten recognized because maybe something negative happened that overshadowed it. You can do 99 great things, and if you do one bad thing, the one bad thing outweighs the other 99. Which, like, I see his point here. 
But he was also insane. He didn't have one bad thing. <laughs> it, was, it was like 99 bad things and one yeah. good thing. <laughs> so unfortunately, the cork bat incident would not be Bill's only controversy during his career. In 1995, after having his house egged by trick-or-treaters, Bell chased after them in his car, allegedly even hitting one of the people oh who egged his God. house. Um, there was a whole like lawsuit about this, but they settled for some unknown amount out of court. Jeez. Yeah, I, I kind of don't blame the Baseball Writers Association. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 96, the MLB fined Bell for knocking down Brewers infielder Fernando Villa to break up a, excuse me, Fernando Vina to break up a double play. This later led to a ninth inning brawl between the teams. Bell kept finding himself in legal trouble. In 2006, which is also the first year of his Hall of Fame eligibility, <laughs> Bell was sentenced to 90 days in jail and five years probation after he admitted to stalking his ex-girlfriend. And in March of 2018, Bell was arrested in Scottsdale, Arizona and charged with indecent exposure and a DUI. All charges were dismissed the following month. Now, I couldn't find a really great source for this story because it was mostly like tabloid stuff mm-hmm. for his uh, like indecent exposure DUI charges yeah. but apparently he was outside a soccer game and he was by his car and then he just had to pee so instead of going and finding a bathroom or just holding it till he got home he just peed right beside his car <laughs> in a parking lot in front of everybody and someone just called the cops <clears> on <throat> him <laughs> so the story goes like a family saw him and like they had their like kids with them they're oh. like teenagers but still yeah, like yeah, children yeah. and the family was like hey silver slugger albert bell <laughs> <laughs> can you please not pee in public we can all see your junk and apparently bell just started shaking his junk at them and saying <laughs> stop looking at it then <laughs> Again, I could only find those stories of, like tabloid <laughs> sites like TMZ and shit. I don't. So I don't who even, knows if they're true? But again, it made me laugh, so I included it. I don't. I don't even care if that's fake or not. That's such a good story. <laughs> so Bell hasn't had the best relationship with the Indians franchise during his retirement. He declined to attend the 20th anniversary celebration of the 1995 World Series team, and he declined to attend the ceremony when he was inducted into the Indians team Hall of Fame. In 2009, Steve Resnick wrote an article for the Bleacher Report on the topic of Bell's induction into the Hall of Fame, saying, quote, The last time I checked, it was the Baseball Hall of Fame. The idea of the Hall of Fame is to show achievements of the best baseball players. If we're going by the logic that attitude is also important when determining if a player is Hall of Fame eligible, then Ty Cobb would be out of the hall. He had a terrible attitude from what I've heard and read about, so why does Bell get all this hate from the media? The answer is because Bell doesn't want to talk to the media. This hardly seems like a good enough reason for Bell to be excluded from the hall because the people voting didn't like his personality. So back to the original question, is Albert Bell a Hall of Famer? The answer is yes. As of this recording in the year 2020... Albert Bell is not in the MLB Hall of Fame. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I don't think he's eligible anymore, because if you're on a ballot and you get less than 5%, I think... They kick you off. Yeah, I think they kick you off. They even changed the rules recently, because it used to be you had 15 years of eligibility, but Mm -hmm. now you have 10. I think Albert would have qualified for 15 years still at the time, so... Because he was eligible in, what, 2006? Yeah. So, I guess... 2021 would be his last year of eligibility, but since he got 5% of the vote... They, um, they kicked yeah, him off. That's, him that's off. a shame. Yeah, so even though one of baseball's greatest hitters of all time might not be remembered later in life, or if he is, it'll be for a lot of <laughs> not great things. Well, you are telling me this story about 
how his bat was corked and his team tried to get it back yeah. and not how he hit like a career OPS of over 900. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that kind of speaks for itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to what Steve said about Ty Cobb, like Ty Cobb used his cleats as a weapon <laughs> against true. other players and also beat up a guy who had no hands because he was heckling him. Yeah. And he would like charge reporters and stuff. Yeah. And- well, there's a, yeah, a ton of players who would do that. And I think Albert even would like yell at reporters in dugouts before the game yeah. because they were like interrupting his like warm up routine or something. Yeah. Uh, not intentionally. And he like he would even apologize for that stuff. But yeah, he's uh, not in the Hall of Fame, I don't think. There are a lot of good baseball players that were awful people. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, if you go back, like, pre-integration, you'll probably find a bunch of dudes who were, like, yeah. fervent racists, a bunch of dudes who were alcoholics. I mean, Babe Ruth punched an umpire once. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the story of Albert Bell and the Great Bat Heist. <laughs> uh. that, was, that was a great story. <laughs> that was a great story. I'll... I will be telling that to as many people as I can. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. I'll, we'll have more stories. Um, I don't know which one I'm going to do next. I found some good ones. I'll just kind of write something down, and next episode will be the next episode. <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds perfect. All right. Um, bye. Bye, guys. Bye.